in the not-too-distant future, wars will no longer exist, but there will be rollerball. Imagine a world without nations. A few of us making decisions on a global basis. Controlled by corporations. No sickness, no needs, and many luxuries. A society that has abolished love and hate, aggression, and individuality replaced them with the most fantastic entertainment of all time, televised to two billion hypnotized viewers. It is more than a game. It is Rollerball. James Caan, John Houseman, Rollerball, rated R. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And and guys, we we, we had to do an emergency emergency rush into the, stu- the recording studio, and and uh, we had some late breaking news that as of uh, just a couple of days ago when we record this. We lost uh, a number of people, the first of which is the the great James Kahn. So that's yeah, a big one. Big loss. A, it's a big loss. And uh, we're, we, we decided to kind of switch around our, our schedule and and shift a few things. And we're going to take a look at at James Kahn's career. And specifically, we're going to talk about 1975's Rollerball. Uh, but also uh, in between when he passed and when we got into into the the booth here, we lost another actor who's a big. Uh, I think some of us are big fans of, which was Tony Sirico, uh, one of the stars of The Sopranos and you know The Goodfellas and Copland and and he's in just a ton of movies. But big fans here, so we just want to take a, a minute here at the, at the top just to kind of talk about him, and then we'll get into James Kahn. Yeah, Polly Walnuts, man. Polly Walnuts. I mean, <laughs> one of the <laughs> in a, most messed up but fun characters from The Sopranos. Yeah. That <laughs> Absolutely. So, so many memorable lines and faces and expressions and, and – uh, Tony was a, a, a quite a character also. If anybody listens to the Supra- Talking Sopranos podcast that's hosted by Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, they talk a lot about Tony, uh, the, the human, you know, and what his personality was like. And he was a character. And he started out as like a real, you know, he was, he was a gangster in, in his youth. And uh, personally, he, his friends knew him as, as Junior, you couldn't call him Junior because of Junior Soprano on the show, but sure. that's uh, some some of them as kids, like when they were in clubs in the New York area, like they knew Tony Sirico because he was there doing his kind of gangster thing and making pickups and, you know, like getting into fights. And it's funny that, you know, 20, 25 years later down the road, they kind of all reunite as actors and yeah. Uh, it, it was an interesting uh, career that he had, but yeah, I mean, we just talked about him in our Goodfellas. I know episode, you know, yeah. Wow. So Tony Stacks. So uh, yeah, it's uh, sad to see 
his life come to an end, but he had an awesome career, a lot of awesome projects that he was part of. So. Yeah. Yeah. Of uh, course, you know, the Sopranos is, is the number one and, and that did a lot for the later part of his life. And he, you know, it was good that he could kind of wind down having a successful career and, um, such a memorable character. There's so many great moments with, with him on, on that show, the Pine Barrens episode and the whole relationship between Polly and Christopher and then Polly and Tony as it goes on. Um, he will, uh, Tony Sirico will definitely be missed, but we can always pop in episodes. So, you know, Polly Walnuts is still with us. So <laughs> forever. He lives on. Uh, Okay, it's on, it's, it, it's on my list of things to to rewatch. It's at very high on my list is rewatching Sopranos so that I can finally watch the final season. Yeah, final half season. We've we've talked about this. This is uh, several times. I know Sopranos is is my number one show of all time. I don't see anything ever topping it. Uh, I think it's there's so much value in that show creatively and and what it did and how it changed television, but how it holds up, especially the further into it you get the first season's a little dated maybe more than a little dated but as you get into two and beyond that thematically it's just it, the setting is is the mafia but that's not really what the show's about there's so much more um philosophically going on with with uh, those characters and um always always recommend a rewatch or a first time watch if you haven't seen it it's amazing that's your that's your number one show mine is punky brewster so wow they are gonna they go hand in hand totally polar opposites but hey you know what that's what's so great about this show we can we can have total totally polar opposite opinions and still come together and talk about movies this is true we're going to talk about how much you guys love rollerball we're we're going to get to it soon let's (laughs) go like do you why wait is it a 10 out of 10 or is it a 12 out of 10? I've got thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, as we mentioned, and the reason we're here is uh, we're, we're talking about James Kahn as well, who I don't know if I would say go so far as to say he's an iconic actor, but he was a major player for a really, really long time. Um, he stayed relevant in every decade. Even if he kind of ducked out for a little while, he'd come back with something huge. And he, he just, I feel like he's always, ever since I started watching movies, like he's always always had a presence and, you know, had had movies that stuck with me or or performances that stuck with me over the years. And what about you guys? Did, uh, what's the first, when's the first time James Caan kind of hit your, your radar? David, what, what about you? Uh, you know, if I'm, I got to think about what, what would be the first i mean as a kid you know when we were when we were kids coming up probably around that time yeah i'm guessing misery maybe was the first one where you know unless you had seen the godfather i hadn't seen the godfather by that point so uh yeah maybe honeymoon in vegas shit no no man it's like it's it's like I need to see him twice, right? Like what you know, when's the first thing I seen him in, and then what did I see him in later? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, 
yeah like so misery i guess i wouldn't have connected him with dick tracy oh yeah dick tracy yeah well it's it's a it's like a like a godfather reunion there between him and pacino and and dick tracy he's only in i think one or two scenes but yeah that's the thing i don't even i barely remember and then uh yeah i mean and then you know he he kept showing up and stuff i think the way of the gun though that was that was one of my favorite movies of the 2000s yeah the way of the gun is a fantastic and forgotten movie one we should cover on the show i used to own it it was so good (laughs) of all the movies yeah that's a a good time so that's kind of like probably where he really stood out for me when i started paying attention to things yeah uh brent Uh, what about you when did uh when did james con enter your your mind space uh, I was definitely aware of him from kind of some of the movies that you were already talking about. Godfather, even though at an early, I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly when I saw Godfather. It de- it didn't have quite as impact on me as it did, I think, for you, John, that movie in particular. But I knew about Sonny Corleone and I knew, you know, like I understood that character it was pretty iconic, just uh during the time of my youth. And mm-hmm. so uh, there was that for sure. Um, and then uh, I think Misery is a good one. Alien Nation was one that I yeah. loved as yeah. a kid that definitely yep. was one that that introduced me to him. I actually just rewatched that last night. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, man, damn. I used to love that movie. I watched it quite a bit. Uh, I think the one that really, I mean, Honeymoon in Vegas is another one that I absolutely he sticks out in for me for my youth but the program mm-hmm. is one that i probably watched you know 75 100 times yep. before i got to college and then <laughs> in college probably watched it another 100 times me and my buddy ryland who we've yep. talked about on the show sometimes like uh definitely um those movies all were really big uh prominent kind of parts yeah. of, of movies from my childhood growing up so those are the ones that really kind of stick out to me but i mean i i don't know i mean you mentioned earlier saying i don't know that we could call him really an iconic i think we can i mean sonny corleone is like one of those characters that is you know will live on forever it, from the godfather saga and so it's like i i think that james Kahn and his body of work like like he will not be, I mean, he's just an incredible actor who has an incredible resume. Yeah. And I don't know what exactly constitute being able to call an actor an icon, but I would say that he's definitely in that, in that kind of echelon. So, yeah. I mean, he had such a wide variety of work too, you know, from, right. from the Godfather to honeymoon Vegas, to elf, to way of the gun, to, you know, just all over the place and, and solid performances in, in all of them. He had done, I think he had done like 130 movies, hundred somewhere around there. Um, just so many and, and starting, I mean, going way back to the beginning of his career when he, he started with John Wayne and El Dorado in 1966. So you, you forget that he goes that far back yeah (laughs) oh yeah uh, i mean he was in old hitchcock episodes yeah like Uh. the hitchcock presents tv show like he dude he's been a ton and like i mean elf like you you know some of his more recent stuff although elf is 20 years ago now but it's we we don't we don't put all those words together about elf yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> that it's 20 years ago. It's cr crazy to think about, right? Yeah. But yeah, I uh, huge loss. I mean, yeah. I know he hadn't been doing anything for a long time, his health, or for, for a little while at least, I don't think, other than... Yeah, the last few years he'd been fairly kinda, quiet. Kind of quiet, yeah. I guess he's got a few things that are... I mean, still coming. So yeah, there's you know, there's like, one we'll, or two. We'll see, a, we'll see a couple more things, but um, you know, he was definitely in the twilight uh, stages of his of his life, and not sure. not doing a whole bunch, uh, not nearly as much as he did when he was younger. So, but he wasn't in the movie Twilight. Was not That's, in that. Yeah, let's not confuse. He almost was. Not. He could have been in the one with Paul Newman and Gene Hackman. Could have fit in that Twilight. But. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, but J James Conn was was a huge actor for me as a kid growing up. I I connected in the deepest way with The Godfather when I was nine, in in 1989 or thereabouts. Uh, the first time I saw it, and I loved Sonny. Like I was in love with with Sonny Corleone. I I thought he was the coolest guy. I wanted to. I just wanted to be like Sonny. I tried, I, I remember trying to like get my shoulders to stay in the same p position because James Caan had that like really kind of square shoulders that you see so much of in The Godfather. And I was like, oh, I, I can I can get my posture to be like that. Wow. <laughs> I, I love that. And, and around the same time, uh, I think Gardens of Stone had just come out and I'd only seen like clips of that, but I just, there was something about James Kahn's persona that I always, I just thought was so cool as, as a kid, especially like he was just had so much confidence and uh, you know, he's cocky and, and it just had a, such a, a good energy about him and, uh, and alienation like had come out right around the same time. So, so it's kind of all these convergence of, you know, a little bit older James Kahn and then, uh, present James Conn. And then like the next year was Honeymoon in Vegas and Misery and, you know, kind of like really one thing after another where he's just throwing out these these really good and fun kind of performances. I haven't seen Honeymoon in Vegas in forever, but uh, I, I remember really like having having a good time with it. Uh, the program, which you mentioned, that was a huge movie. All my, like all my friends and you know, a lot of guys in our age group love the program. And, yeah. and we were, you know, in maybe middle school or early high school. And, and uh, that was, a, that was a big movie uh, at the time, like a cult movie. It wasn't like a big hit yeah. movie, but one that was like, we'd rent it and watch it over and over and over. I just remember all of us like Nagat and Ryland, all of us like, and we quote lines like walking up and down like, I can already in my head hear Nagat saying starting line place at the table, you know, like <laughs> constantly just ringing yeah. in my ears. And then as I, I got into college and started exploring more of seventies film is, is when I got into some of his earlier stuff, uh, you know, the gambler rollerball thief, which uh, we covered here uh, on the show about a, Oh God, almost two years ago. And Thief is an amazing film and James Conn's performance is stellar in that. And it's Michael Mann's first real movie. Um, and, and you can hear us talk in a lot of detail on it in the archives at www.reconsideration.com. But uh, James Conn by the late 
seventies, early eighties, his his star had kind of dwindled down a little bit after the height of The Godfather and being nominated for an Oscar, and and uh, you know his films weren't doing as well. That movie comes out completely re-legitimizes him and just a fantastic character that he fit perfectly for because he's smart and cool and not hot-headed in that like Sonny Corleone uh you know his character in Thief is is much more calculating and uh you know plans out every move very much a core Michael Mann character uh, and then, you know, as his career went on, it, it's, yeah, Way of the Gun was a great movie. I, I think I saw it about a year after it came out and was one of the, it's, I think, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. So it's got a little bit of the twists and turns, you know, that were so popular after The Usual Suspects, but mm-hmm. great cast. And he's just awesome as this old school gangster <laughs> in a uh, members only jacket that, Mm-hmm. I I also happen to sport one of those uh, uh, often, but um, <laughs> you know who's like there's these big shootouts happening, and James Conn character is just kind of floating in the background and like picking people off and silently kind of moving through, and it, it's a great movie, one really worth watching. Uh, and then you know we we mentioned Elf, which is one of the greatest holiday films uh, of all time. It's probably maybe the last classic that that has been yeah. released in our lifetime i mean there's other christmas movies but that that's elf to me is like a classic it just goes along with it's a wonderful life and home alone Watch and, it every year now yeah yeah, yeah. and that one doesn't movie. age to me no <laughs> but uh you know another movie that we didn't mention i'm just going to jump in that we should because it started a young wes anderson's career is uh bottle rocket huge which which you know i i'm pretty uh, obviously it's been a long time since, since I've thought about that movie too much, but James Kahn's involvement in that movie is what kind of helped get Wes Anderson, the clout to make that movie in the first place. It was a short that he had seen and, uh, he liked it so much that he wanted to be a part of the feature. And so, you know, I mean, that obviously was a, was a springboard for Wes Anderson to go on and make Rushmore. And then, you know, it's all history from there, but you know. That's yeah, uh, pretty cool. Wes Anderson honestly owes a lot of his career to James Caan. Sure. I, I remember when Bottle Bottle, Bottle Rocket, you're, you're correct, everything you just said, Bottle Rocket had just come out, or was about to come out. And I remember it was the, I think it was the 1996 MTV Movie Awards. And James Caan came out to kind of present the trailer for Bottle Rocket and announced like, we've found we've discovered this great young filmmaker that is going to be a big deal and uh it was my like privilege to to have worked with him and and helped him and i remember james Kahn plugging wes anderson was the reason i saw the movie yeah you know if he's vouching for him then i'll i'll, get, I'll show him the respect and, and <laughs> check give out him the a movie. chance <laughs> you're getting a chance from john yeah but uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it started it really started there and, and had James Kahn not given it that name value, you know, who knows what would happen with Bottle Rocket and, and Wes's career. And that right. one thing led to another and Rushmore leads to Tenenbaums. And then by that point, he's a success. But have you guys, uh, David, have you seen Bottle Rocket? 
Um, I saw it as a rental that way back when, and I didn't really, it didn't really catch for me. Like, didn't, re- didn't resonate. Yeah, and I like I need to go back and watch it because I I, I I've enjoyed I enjoy the Wilsons and I enjoy Wes Anderson. And, I don't know. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I don't. I think I was in a good mood that day. <laughs> well, it's um, very. You it's know, an interesting it, movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very first filmy. Yeah, you know, like the the first movie by most major directors isn't, you know, they're not polished yet. There's, it's a little bit off their game from what what they would figure out their game to be, and and Bottle Rocket's a great example of it. Like you're on the right track, but not quite there. Rushmore is more fine tuned, and then for me, like Tenenbaums is kind of key. Yeah, you know, pr- prime Wes Anderson. But, uh, well, I, I think, you know, Bottle Rocket's on the list for us to cover here uh, on the show down the road. So it, that, that'll be an interesting one to look at. And I haven't seen it in a really long time as well. I loved it right. back then, but who knows, you know, especially seeing where Wes Ander- Anderson's gone since then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just so many great roles for for James Kahn over the years. I um I met him very like in passing at, at a film festival years ago and, and he had already started to kind of wind down his career. And, um, but you know, he had such a, he had such a presence and was such a, uh, a personality and it was intimidating, you know, it's an intimidating to be around a guy like that who, you know, you look back at his life and, I, I I don't know if it was before The Godfather, but definitely during the research for Sonny Corleone, he you know he befriended some real life mafia folks and stayed very good friends with them over the years, and and uh, you know has had some some loose ties to that world. So that's you know just kind of interesting. I think fueled some of his other characters, but uh, yeah, just an interesting life, uh, interesting personality, and. Um, you know we're gonna we're gonna miss James Khan, and we uh, but we have a great body of work to look back at, and you know there's there's a, a, a handful of movies that we can keep doing on this show. So I think we've already named a lot of them. I enjoy working. I love to work with good people. I have more fun when I'm working, and I have a lot of laughs, and I get respect too sometimes. That brings us to today. So we're we are going to look back at 1975's Rollerball, which was uh, when was the last time? When was the last time you guys saw this movie, or is this the first time? Uh, first time for me. First time for David. Mm-hmm. I. This is the first time for me. Really, which interesting. is interesting. So, like. I had been aware of rollerball for quite some time, you yeah. know, like prior to, I remember the, the, the VHS cover from mm-hmm. the racks and the, in the, in the video stores back in the day, but I had never seen it. And it's interesting because, or I had never seen it from start to finish. I'm sure I'd seen clips. I'd obviously seen clips of the actual like rollerball derby scenes uh before in certain things here and there but i was surprised to find out that this team his team was based out of houston and since i'm a houston kid like i'm surprised this didn't have a bigger part of my in my childhood 
even like even like going to sporting events or something like that, you'd think like on the big jumbotron, they would have been playing like clips, especially that clip where they're all chanting like, yeah, Houston, Houston. That, that should have been pumped into every you know Houston yeah, stadium. Abs- absolutely. So yeah. I'm I was pleasantly surprised and hooked the moment we I started watching it for this because I was like, oh, this is based in Houston. Yeah, all I, right, I'm in. I can picture you sitting down. I, I picture you putting the movie in. It's starting to play the menu yeah. screen. You're getting like a like a a, a drink or some food, so your snacks together. Yeah. And you're, you're about right to sit down the... and they say Houston team and you you do the double. I'm take. like, I'm like, what? Yeah, you, you, you're, let's you're, go. Your bowl of popcorns like all over the floor. All yeah, I was like, I was ready. I was ready. <laughs> I was in it. I was in it. They were my team. They were yeah. my rollerball team from that yeah. point forward, without a doubt. Imagine if it were real. You'd what? have been you'd have been there. It's not real. <laughs> yeah, I it was. So I was surprised, though. In all honesty, I was surprised that I hadn't seen it when I was younger, I mean, just based on the fact that growing up in Houston, you know, you would have thought at some point it would have been uh, more, I don't know, readily pumped in, in yeah. certain places that would have piqued my curiosity, but for whatever reason, it wasn't. Uh, David, did, had you, had you heard of rollerball? I'd heard about it. I'd heard of it. Cause, uh, maybe referenced in other pop culture somewhere mm-hmm. along the way too. Um, so, but I had no, I, I had no idea of what it, what it was. It, I, yeah. I, I don't even have a, a memory of like the VHS, like, like, like there, there, and there's a lot of those, like when we do these movies that, Oh, I'd never seen, but I had an awareness of it's like, I always remember, you know, from the, from the rental cover houses art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. cover. Um, but this one even um, sort of evaded me. And then, um, and then when they made the remake or whatever, and I had heard, I was like, oh yeah, rollerball. And I never the, saw the, 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 the Chris the Klein classic yeah. with LL the, Cool J. We, yeah. we do not talk about that movie, uh, here. <laughs> um, did you see it? I, I didn't I need did. to see more than five minutes of it. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it when it first came out on video back in 2001. Two, I think, yeah. I think it was 2002? theaters 2001 and okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but so like that, that kind of looked terrible and I'm like, oh, if they're, I don't know, I have to check out the other one. And then, yeah, it just, it's always been on the list as it were. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I always remembered, I feel like it was on like set, you know how they'd have on like in the New York area, it'd be WPIX or WWOR, they'd have afternoon movies like saturday afternoon sunday afternoon that were like no one's really watching tv but you know if you were bored you would be it's on and i feel like rollerball was one of those movies but i also seem to remember like a rollerball maybe it was called roller jam or something um like a like a like american gladiators kind of game that was also on Saturday, but I remember there being like an really? alligator in the middle. Like it was, it was like the movie, obviously not playing to the death, but like there was, it was, I have some memory of that. So. Oh, I'm going to have to search that. I don't recall that, but I believe that it exists. Yeah. I mean, obviously it spun off of like from the movie or, or maybe it was another movie or something like that, but it wasn't, it wasn't rollerball this movie, but something related to it. So yeah. 
but I, yeah, and, and and I kind of always knew of it from the video store and loving James Khan and just seeing like, oh, I wonder what the hell this is. Like, I should, I should rent this, but uh, I never did until it was like 2003, I think, when I was trying to. I go through phases where I try to plug holes in the the movies that I've missed. So I, I was going through the 70s uh, around that time, and and Rollerball was was one, and and I loved it the the first time I saw it. I, you know, that that's the thing about this movie. There are definitely things that date the movie, and it feels very 70s. Dude, it is a super 70s movie. Super there's no, 70s. There's no getting around it. Like no. this is super 70s without a doubt. Yeah. Which 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 can be really distracting. You know, it's, it's the, tough. And really, not just the 70s, but any decade is going to have their movies that are just of that, so intensely of that style Yeah, that it's it, you really sometimes have to work harder to try to stay with the story and the meaning behind it. And you have to kind of look past the clothes and the zoom-ins and the you know production design. Yeah. And, uh, I was able to do that with this one, but I, I totally get it that not maybe not everybody can. Yeah, I felt like at this point in time, like it it translates kind of okay, you know, like some of the stylistic choices and some of the, like the architecture for me was all very interesting. So I was like, knowing that none of that shit was in Houston, I was like <laughs> looking where they filmed this thing. And so the some of that was super interesting, I felt like, and I thought that that translated well, because like, I don't know, I think there's some really interesting architecture that's happening contemporary stuff that's happening these days and so i was really kind of interested in that and so i feel like it translated well but i can't imagine like if i'd have watched this in the 90s it would have given it would have been a complete miss for me like i would have been like it's two 70s yeah to for me to have like been patient enough to to see it through yeah yeah no i totally get that David, what about you? Did the seventiesness of of it kind of distract you, or did you mind it? Uh, no, I'm I'm used to this. Uh, to I, I, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of seventies films before I started this podcast, and so the more that we see, the more I just sort of like. I know it's of a different time, but it does feel like I kind of they all. It's not like they're all the same to me or anything, but like I was used to sort of the vocabulary of it and and sort of what. To, even to expect out of like the characters in a sense, you know, like just sort of the, you know, we, we don't have, we don't have a hero. We don't have heroes here and we don't necessarily have a, a, like, it's not a story of good and evil, you know, it's just sort of like everyone's sort of living a terrible life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And even the people in power are kind of miserable, terrible. No, it's it's a, you know, um, that's a very, very loose, just, broad stroke of like the style of the time i think like yeah there's no heroes it's it's just um but so yeah i, I don't know it didn't distract me i mean i love the like i guess they're not leisure suits but those the 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 they're like they're they're civilian clothes is uh they're polyester threads yeah i like the hats like i like his little i don't i don't even know what kind of hat it is but <laughs> um so yeah i don't know it's uh it is it is it is 70s it's it's kind of cool yeah i love it when we get to watch a movie that is from a time that is 
projecting a future that is already in our past. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, this is a 1975 movie based in 2018, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we're in 2020 and to just kind of like watch it from this perspective is just, I, I mean, this is obviously not the only movie that this happens, you know, yeah. like nights, of course the biggest one is back to the future, but, but I, I think that this is pretty, uh, or back to the future too, I guess I should say, but this is, uh, this was cool. It was kind of cool to, to see it. Yeah. It's, it's funny when movies, think they're projecting so far in the future you know terminator 2 we've passed like there's there's yep, a yep. there's a poster that floats around social media where it, it lays out like the timeline of all these sci-fi movies and right now we are in the year of soylent green so oh, okay oh. yeah so that's right now and there i think go. uh i think we just passed blade runner as well yep, yeah yeah so yeah the, those those are those are kind of fun to 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 track, but I think they're, you know, looking beyond that thematically, we're in a very similar period of time as far as unrest among the people, social class systems and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and lack of trust for the government and the people in charge and a sense of rebellion uh, happening with, with all of the feels like many uh, situations out there that are dividing, uh, specifically in this country, that it feels very, to me, very similar to what happened in the, in the seventies in the post Vietnam, post Nixon era that yeah. so many of these movies are tied to. Well, uh, I mean, in this movie directly, like it's not, there's not even a government, the government is corporations, executives right. run the, run the country, which, you know, a lot of people would argue in America, that's not too far off from the truth these days. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty uncanny, but yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Big business kind of controls everything. Yeah. And to your point, the, the, un, the, the not trusting the government, you know, similar to like when we watch the conversation, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just that, that time frame very much in the seventies where there was a big, big lack of trust in the government coming out of Vietnam and, you know, Watergate right around that area. I mean, it's yeah. 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 Especially, you know, post Watergate, you have the seventies conspiracy films really Mm -hmm. starting with the conversation that go through, you know, you have, and and all the, it's like almost all the stars of the day start in one of those movies. You know, there's, there's the conversation. There's all the president's men. There's Marathon Man. There's Three Days of the Condor. Rollerball, I would put in there. Um, you know, it goes goes on and on. Parallax View, Clute, even. But uh, <laughs> the yeah. So it, it's it's interesting how that you know this kind of still this movie feels like such a mix because it's so dated in so many ways, but is underneath those layers still very relevant seems kind of current yeah yeah uh so yeah plot wise you know in in this setting the there is no more war there is no more government the the business has basically taken it over and rollerball has become the focus of it's it's 
I was unclear of is it is it the only sport or just the biggest sport that's out it's there? The Did they sport say? that replaced war. I don't right. know because right. all the battle and all the all the violence and all the gruesome blood of of war is all on the floor in in the roller arena. Yeah, yeah, and and where teams from uh, various cities all over the world sort of represent almost represent that country and right. play to the death really that there it, it's a it's a D david how would you how do you describe like the actual sport of rollerball uh how do i describe the sport of rollerball? like it's a like, it's a mix of different you know of a few different existing sports right oh right yeah i mean it's like a it's it's um it's a uh, roller derby. It's football. It's uh, the Quidditch. Quidditch. <laughs> Definitely the, Quidditch. There's a what's quaffle. The, what's the sport yeah. where you relays? Uh, you Lacrosse. No, like and track and field. The uh, you pass yeah. the baton. Is that oh, what they yeah, yeah. Relay race. Yeah. So it's like a relay race, and uh, yeah, I mean, so it's 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 taking the best elements of every sport and putting it into yeah. Putting yeah, it on roller skates, motocross. I'd say motocross, you've got yeah. you know motorcycles involved and wrestling. Uh, I mean, hockey, it's wrestling, boxing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's pretty much every, it's it's a free for all. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe not so much baseball. That might be the only, or and maybe no golf. But otherwise, yeah. Well, almost golf. You got to get that hole in one. Yeah, you got to get yeah, the ball in, ball in the hole. Yep. Yep. That curved, that curved uh, basket's hard. That to... heavy steel ball, yeah, which is insane. Put. Like so, yeah. so, so they basically play on a on a rink, um, where you know, kind of like like a NASCAR in a way that they're just yeah, going it's... around this track, yeah. And this, like, what seems to be based on the sound of it being ejected, this like heavy Cannon. metal ball, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you can see. also use. Yeah, it as no, a it is it. It's definitely a heavy metal ball when he's when he, uh, there's even a moment in the movie where he's like giving instruction and he drops the ball onto the onto the ground and it just goes clank. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a big, heavy metal ball. Yeah. And uh, and you the, you play to the death. There's no there's no penalties for. You know, the some of the players get run over by motorcycles, they get stabbed, they get beaten to death, they get you know just like teamed up on and and they're just dragged out of the game and i i will say for as tough as you got to be to play this game there's some pretty uh featherweight featherweight deaths that that occur <laughs> in, in this in this arena but yeah you play to the death i mean some people get hit in the back of the head with spike gloves that's pretty gnarly yeah that's like, yeah i mean if they get too injured feel like they roll down the they roll down the arena and they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the escalation of violence in film that w what seemed super violent then is nothing now. Yeah, for sure. Well, like the first, you know, that first 15 minute sequence, like the first half of it didn't seem that violent. And then suddenly people were getting massacred, like mauled <laughs> right, and all that. But you can substitute. You don't necessarily have to die, but you're probably going to. Yeah, yeah. You're if gonna you like, do. That's, that's okay. Why, it's part of the game. You're gonna get hurt at a minimum, right? But that's why that's why Jonathan E is such a standout. Where James Conn is 
the standout guy, this all-star, this number one guy who's been around around the league for too long. Uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, you know, the, does he does he have the juice to keep going, uh, or you know, or should he be forced out like the way the way they way they want him? He's he's too powerful. He should have died years ago or retired. He's he's right. Tom Brady. Yeah, well, he I mean, is Tom Brady, but Tom Brady, but he's, Tom Brady's, yeah. but I don't know. Tom, Tom Brady's no, calling his own shots, though. He's he's retiring when he wants. He's coming back at no retirement one, whenever he wants. Yeah, he's not no, getting forced out. You know, no corporate NFL person wants Tom Brady to leave the league. That's like, that's, well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean, just like star caliber wise. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, he's he's, he's Michael goat. Jordan. He's Tom he's Brady. He's Wayne Gret. You know th- that that level. Yeah, and and we celebrate we celebrate these people in reality. Um, for you know, they're obviously very talented people, uh, but in the world of rollerball, to be a standout is is to be dangerous. Is to be that's dangerous yeah. for everyone. Yeah, else. can somebody explain that part to me? Like I so what seventy five percent of the movie is James Con trying to figure out why they're trying to boot him from from rollerball, right? And then his buddy at one point is like, they're scared of you. They're scared of you, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> but like, why? Why are they scared of him? I think they're worried about his popularity is going to give him a certain amount of control and power potentially. So well, they see a threat you know, a threat with him. So it's time to just retire him. Yeah. But we see that other people that are popular rollerball players from the past can become executives. Right. I mean, that's what his friend is. Right. So like, what is, I I don't understand what that means. And then like, as you watch, uh, I mean, we haven't gotten into the cast, but like the, the John Houseman character, like he's like the top dog, but he's getting, pushed out as well because he's not able to get Jonathan Eats or James Kahn to retire. It's all very seventies and all yeah. doesn't really like congeal. Like, Yeah. I, I mean, I think that is part of the, you know, the downside of the movie is, is a, sort of a lack of clarity of, of the why of it all. Right. Yeah. I, yeah I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I think that is a, uh, kind of weak weak part of the film yeah you need a you need to read and read into it a bit um more and i think it's like and i don't think it's presented as well as it could have been um but you know it's it's putting everybody in their their colors and every you know and everyone roots for their side and it's like it you're just houston they, they only wear they only wear numbers on their thing mm. uh you know but people start to know i think the idea was like yeah to be a standout to be someone the crowd cheers for individually means like he has a platform and like he could be dangerous whereas they need everyone to fall in line and just play the game you know and it's just sort of like you can play the game and then you can retire and have an easy life but you keep sticking around and you you know like that that that's bad for keeping everybody in like groups you know yeah so um which I think is kind of like the idea of like, don't, if you're not thinking for yourself, you know, you're a drone and that's, that's sort of the message of like, this yeah. is kind of a bad, bad situation. Well, and I'm all for that. Like I get that as like the driving force of, of, you know, what he's trying to figure out. Like for yeah. me, I'd be all in, but you, to your, you know, 
I don't think it's yet. Yeah, I don't it's think not it's explained clear. very well. It's very unclear. Like it's not. It's got a lot of holes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we see we see the the government slash business, you know, who's in control. Just they control everything. Everything that happens, who plays, how long they play, right? Even into the personal life of oh yeah, like of, who you're dating and yeah, who you're. You know, we we see we learn early on in the story that he has prior to the movie his wife or girlfriend who was played by uh, Maude Adams has been taken from him and given to another executive because they're higher up the the chain. So they get sort of first pick of whoever they want. It doesn't matter if they're with somebody or not. And he's never really recovered emotionally from that, that, you know, we oh, see. It's kind of interesting, like his relationship with the other women in his life kind of mirror the whole relationship of the executives and him as far as like in rollerball, like he's just, you know, like he's like with a lady, she's, he's like run, you know, they've, their relationship has run their course and he's just like, see you later. And then they just send him another woman to have a relationship with. And it's like, it's very similar to, Hey, I'm, I'm the star. Oh, you've run your course. See you later. We've got this new guy. What's his name? Moonshine or Moon? Moon Pie. Moon, moon pie. pie. Yeah. Coming in. You're like, he's the new big guy. You know, it's very similar it, how, how it works. You yeah. Know? But to be a victim of the system uh, also, me- but means you can still be a part of the system. Oh, right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. So like that's, and that's the allure of being in part of the symptom system to be a little to have a little more power to be a little bit up the, on the food chain but that doesn't mean you're at the top of the food chain so yeah. it is like like that's that's and it, that's the commentary on being part of corporations and government and all that you know there a, there's a realistic uh you know skepticism over the government particularly in the 70s right and then in the, and of course you know a, a, and perpetuates through time um no one's ever been fully behind the government but then also like the warning of don't trust the corporations either. They don't have your interests at heart. And well, that's, that, th- that's, that's sort of like, it's so, you know, you, but also I think the commentary is like, as people just pick one or the other, you know, like who to trust. Well, and that's the thing, like even in the party scene, like they don't even know who is in charge, right? right. Like they're like, even the executives, the people who are higher up, like they're asking like, okay, so who's making, like who's doing this? Like who's making these calls? And yeah. like no one has an answer. Like it's just well, we it's we a think, faceless, it's a faceless controller, you know. Exactly. We yeah. think we think it's John Hausman. It seems like it's John Hausman, but then right. we learn it's not. And he's he's in trouble himself. But yes, that there's there's always somebody bigger and higher up and higher up and who we we never even know it goes so high up we don't have no idea who that person is or those people yeah yeah and that could be you know that could be dark the dark money where people aren't actually in the corporations or in the government uh, or you know there's no government but but it's just money being funneled in and they call the shots like like that happens in our political system yeah Yeah. i think it's zero i think zero is the one in control (laughs) Could be zero at the world library. <laughs> yeah. That that was an interesting scene, huh? 
It is also one I'm not exactly sure, like what sense does it really make? It's, yeah, there's a lot of those in here. It's like, yeah. They just kind of throw something in. But again, I like the aesthetic. I like the look. I, again, I, all the architecture for this, for the, for all the buildings is really fascinating and unique, I think. But uh, some of the story, it's just like, I don't, I feel like in maybe sometimes in the seventies, they let people just get away with like big gaping, oh, unexplained absolutely. story parts yeah. that are just like, whatever, just make it look cool. And it'll be all right. That, that's, that was what the seventies were. Was that, I guess they these, still do that, but well, but no, they had more, way more creative control then than they do now than direct, yeah. you know, directors had, then that they do now, they, you know, that, that's what new Hollywood was, was moving, you know, we've talked about here many times, moving out the old Hollywood studio system and young producers who were very in touch with, you know, modern life <laughs> had taken over the studios and were like Robert Evans, you know, were letting, giving a really, um, long rope to to the writers and directors of the day and, and letting them tell their stories without having a sort of corporate agenda behind it. And it was yeah. just almost a cathartic uh, storytelling going on. And that being said, sometimes you got the Godfather and right. sometimes you got things that are, you know, Heaven's Gate and movies that are completely out of control yeah. and go over budget, over schedule, directors that are just, you you can't reel them back in at all. Well, this is Norman Jewison. So he'd, he'd been around for a bit. Um, he had done, he'd done some big movies already. So he wasn't one of the sort of, he wasn't born in the seventies, like a lot of the filmmakers. Were. Okay. He, he really started up in the sixties where uh, he did it in the heat of the night, which is a, a fantastic film. Um, and, and a lot of these have, yeah kind of the like rebellious themes that seem to to come up quite often for him in the heat of yep. the night the thomas crown affair the cincinnati kid fiddler on the roof fiddler uh, jesus christ superstar come on jesus christ superstar after this yeah. he would do fist with uh stallone which is i think kind of a similar similar kind of themes to rollerball and justice for all with pacino Later, much later on, probably his biggest movie is Moonstruck. And yeah, uh, you're right. I I completely wrong guy. I was looking. I was getting him confused with someone else. Totally. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, um, he did. He did a ton of stuff. Yeah. But okay. Not a ton of music videos, but no, no, not a maybe ton of there's music some videos music videos peppered in there. Could but, be. Could be. Yeah. Scorsese did music videos. Come on. Sure, he did bad, didn't he? he did bad, and he did uh, something else. Didn't he do? Did you do black or white? He, no, he maybe he did something around that. It was the late eighties. He might have did that, and he might have did like the 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 Egyptian Pharaoh one with Eddie Eddie Murphy is uh, in the Par party all the time. That one? No, the, <laughs> remember the time? Something like that. Oh Whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Norman Jewison, I think is a is a fantastic director who um, I don't think I wouldn't say it's. Maybe he got let a little bit loose on this one, but um, I think you know. I think, I think a lot of his focus is you know is clearly is is on the actual like shooting of the the game itself because there's so much story being told during the actual rollerball games, especially the finale. And I, you know, I think part of it is like 
yeah, he probably had too much control. So whereas a studio might say, look, you need to kind of be more obvious about this. The audiences will understand or something. I don't know. But I think there's like still an innate trust of audiences that that director's like, yeah, no, I'll get it. Or they or someone's going to explain it to them. You know, it's mm-hmm. got to be art- it's the artistic integrity has to remain. Yeah. Like uh, all the dots don't need to be connected. Yeah. But yeah. But these some of these dots probably should have been. Yeah, yeah. You can still deftly do it without pandering to the to like a third grade audience, which is like right. what it what it feels like when they get these notes, right? For a lot of for a lot of directors, I'm sure it's like you got to be kidding me. Like, isn't it isn't it obvious? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or at least like no, the point is to to find the interpretation. You know, it's got to. But um, yeah. So I, I think it just yeah, it, it takes it like we do. It takes an an extra bit of reading i don't think you walk out of that movie for the first time understanding it totally like you really have to think about the culture of the time and, and all that i mean that's the thing there there may have been a shorthand in the 70s for it for this for the public to understand it anyway and probably just like decide whether or not they actually agree with it you know would would uh, you say that there are similarities between rollerball and gladiator like with kind of think so right thematically plot wise right i mean not exactly beat for beat but there's yeah. similarities yeah i think so i think yeah glider takes its cues from this this kind of story right because it what what's the space was becoming too much of a russell yeah. Crowe yeah. Crow was becoming too much of a commodity he's becoming a, and he didn't want a name and but they loved him and the emperor kind of had to continue to pander and be loved yeah the class the class system was a little more kind to those that played rollerball than they did in gladiator but (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean i see what i see where you're going with that yeah it's interesting i mean i that that jump watching it this time it did jump out at me that it felt like the rich you know executives watching from above much like roman gladiators you know for sure very 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 much the same thing kind of happening here um the the script was written by uh by william harrison based on his i guess this was a short story that was released in esquire magazine in 1973 so a pretty quick turnaround um i don't remember really like how i guess just magazine sales right that would would kind of determine how popular something like that would be at the time. I don't know how they measured it really. I mean, I don't know. Was it, was it made because it was an Esquire or did someone just read it in Esquire? Cause I feel like there's short stories and articles that get seen and read and people like, Oh, that's great. We should make this. Yeah. Well, you we know. talked about that, like even on national lampoons vacation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's it's it's that's how Shark Tale came about. It was based on a 1991 Time Magazine article. Everybody, everybody knows about Shark Tale. <laughs> Everyone knows the tale of Shark Tale. I think that's true. I think that's what I heard. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So it goes into pretty quick development, and um, you know, Norman Jewison, I think, is probably one of the top directors of the of the day here. I mean, this is really just prior to Spielberg, um, you know, becoming a big, a big deal. And uh, Norman Jewison's got, you know, pretty great credits already to this point and working with big stars. So it it seemed like 
it actually seems like a really good fit, a good choice for someone to slide in and take over a movie like this that, uh, you know, always seem to question authority. So, you know, in his prior films, whether whether it was Sidney Poitier or or Steve McQueen in, in a couple of films that uh, always that rebellious nature. So I, I think I think Norman was was a good a good choice here. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the rest of it, the cast. I mean, there's not a lot of household names here, but there is John Howe's men. Yeah. Who, uh, mm-hmm. who we talked a little bit about uh, on our, I think this is the third time he's shown up here at Reconsidimation. He he makes an appearance in John Carpenter's The Fog and uh, Scrooged as well. He's the, what, the narrator, right? For the, the show. Scrooged? Yeah, oh. Scrooge. Yeah. yeah. Classic actor, uh, well cast here, believable as the as the the villain of the film. He was really. great in this. He was awesome as yep. the as the owner of the the Houston team. That scene at the end of the first rollerball competition, you know, when they're in the locker room and he's going around giving the pep talk and like handing moon pie, like some kind of pill to get him all like. Yeah, I mean, everything that's going on there and the way it's choreographed and his delivery of all the all the lines. And it, I mean, it's really, really. I think maybe one of the better like scenes carried by by dialogue and not the actual roller rollerball competition. Yeah, I mean, he's he's essentially drugging the players in what I imagine is something like, co- you know, cocaine or steroids or something to like just fire them up right before the game. Sure. Uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting to to kind of twist on that character that just really well played by him. Yeah. Um, Maude Adams, who we mentioned, uh, was coming off of the Man with the Golden Gun. So she's a Bond girl. One of the only people, if not the only person, to play two different Bond girls. Both Uh-oh. in Roger Moore movies. Huh. Is that right? Yeah. She's in The Man with the Golden Gun, and then she appears in Octopussy, completely different character. Does she have like a uh, a distinguishing mole that they put on her face so she looks like a different <laughs> character? <laughs> one, no, not in at all. In one movie, it's on one cheek, and in the other, it's on the yeah. other cheek. But the whole relationship with with uh, her character and Jonathan E is is, I mean, it's tragic, really, that you know, she's the really the love of his life who was taken away from him, given to somebody else, which is, you know, a, a commentary on on women's role in society as well, mm-hmm. that they're shining a light on. Obviously, we have some some serious issues uh, in, in today's world as well. Uh, but then she reappears, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie as sort of a way as sort of a, a, a an attempt by the by the executives to kind of manipulate him and get them like oh okay well well you can have her back you can have her back if uh if you just stop playing yeah uh you know there's a yeah i think there's like a much the a much larger story at work that you know you can only see it from the perspective of of jonathan e you know like how how high does it really go like he you know 
could he have could he have eventually led a rebellion against the the, the corporate government you know over time i could see a a, a four season hbo epic miniseries uh of, of jonathan e leads the houston rebels because that's what that's what they did in texas they rebelled yeah. that's yeah right, right? is that true <laughs> There's some of that. There's some. Of... <laughs> you could make a great. You could make a great like eight episode series of Rollerball. Yeah, like you HBO could. style. You really could. Yeah, connect all the dots. Make yeah. it. You don't know. make it as don't make it as crazy as Westworld. Right. Okay. But make, but I haven't make seen the as... latest season, but. Uh... But I actually a... haven't seen any season past season one, so <laughs> I'm considering so not just the latest, but almost all the other. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen really much of it. You've only <laughs> seen twenty five percent. I I missed yep. the last episode and the <laughs> thirty five the... before that. <laughs> That's right. So no spoilers, guys. <laughs> I'm rushing to get through that one. Um, what were you gonna say, David? Uh, and uh, oh, but all but yeah. Um, not as crazy as Westworld, but make it as fun as the Hunger Games or something. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Which the Hunger Games probably owes a lot to this, to these kinds of stories from this, the seventies. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. All the I, I don't I don't read YA fiction as it were, but uh, it seems like all the popular ones are about, you know, an, a sort of an a, a hero, a uh, what do you call it a uh, accidental hero against a against some sort of machine uh system in place that you know in either a dystopian future or or uh you know a corporate or a wizarding thing. world of some sort so. yeah so there's always like <laughs> it's always about a battle against the against the, the shadow people in power right and right and, and how there can be success uh, I, I don't know that, that that might be really way off, but that's what it seems like uh, for me. Yeah, no, totally, totally hear that. Um, Which is good. It's good. Teens, teens shouldn't trust anybody. <laughs> that's the message of teenagers. Just <laughs> always question. Always, question. always, keep, always be questioning. Yeah, right? just their high school friends. That's the only people they should trust because they're the ones in the long run that are going to show you the way especially the <laughs> especially the one dude's older brother steve who got you pot that for the first <laughs> that time that afternoon yeah yeah <laughs> um only trust those guys <laughs> i do yeah. have to uh i do have to mention john beck who plays uh moon pie in, in yeah. this film john beck uh was uh one of the great actors who appeared for multiple seasons on a little show called dallas Oh, oh, my favorite. He played the character of Mark <clears throat> Grayson, who tries uh, successfully, oh. sometimes unsuccessfully, others to take Pam Ewing away from Bobby. Uh, very uh, long, long storyline there. Goes multiple seasons. But, you know, you guys know how close I am with, with the show Dallas. So, Oh, do I ever? Yeah. Do and he I... appears on Walker, Texas Ranger. So he's a very, you Brent, you should love John Beck. He's a very Texas centric. Yeah. Actor. Is, is he from Texas? I mean, this is, he's based in Houston for this. He, he's based Houston, in Dallas. Dallas. Where the hell's, where's Walker, Texas Ranger based? <clears throat> I think it's either Austin or Dallas. 
I know the offices, the production offices, I think were just outside Dallas. Cause... Yeah, so it's got to be there because they have like half the cast of Dallas shows up, like the whole crew That's just switched funny. over to that show. So, wow. Um, yeah. Well, John Beck was born in Chicago, though. <laughs> Chicago is very close to Texas. He's got a he's got a Texas look to him, though. I'm not going to lie. He's got, oh, yeah. He's got a little swagger. Illinois and Texas are virtually next to each other. Virtually not anything alike. <laughs> John Beck has a Longhorn uh, birth birthmark on his on his shoulder. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I with for for a, for a, for a movie about a Houston sports team, I was shocked at the lack of uh, Longhorns and uh, the outline of the state of Texas just plastered. Dude, there were. Sure. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> she, Jonathan E had a big old set That's of right. Longhorns hanging up in his. That's in his right. House. That's right. Listen, man. <laughs> but where were the tattoos and the you know it stuff was the in the 70s. They weren't if this if this was based in 2022. The co- the drink many, coasters many more, should be shaped many like more Texas. tattoos. <laughs> drink coasters are in the shape of Texas. Oh, There's, for sure. The, what uh, are you, the pool uh, tables. It was a very, was a very Texas. non-Texas Texas <laughs> I know. for sure. That's Considering all was... the buildings were in Germany and exactly. Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, can't really go outside too much, and yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think about what happens to the Moon Pie character? It, I got, I got very, I felt very sad the first time I saw that. I was, that was, uh, you know, it's essentially an execution. Yeah, it's yeah. a bummer. That's what they do. I mean, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, he gets, he's the guy who gets punched in the back of the head with a spike. But held, you know, and, held like one yeah, arm yeah. by by you know, two guys are holding his arms back, and then yeah. the other goes from behind him and just hits him. Yeah, and he goes into a coma or or has some kind of vegetative state. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's tragic, man. It's for sure. It's tragic. He's the young kid on his way up, and he gets taken out. Yeah, you know? yeah, and he's in in a lot of ways. It seems like he's Jonathan's sort of closest friend at the time. Yeah, he's sort of protege as well. Yeah. Like he's kind of, you know, like he's obviously the one that's, you know, being trained and and is going to take over the team whenever Jonathan does retire. If when you know, even if it's on his own accord versus being forced out. Yeah. Well, and 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 it's that death that really, I think, takes the seriousness of the situation for Jonathan and and you know, ratches it up a, a few notches that, yeah. you know, he, you know, he's saddened by that, but knows like, you know, now, like he really is, he's playing for his life and, and that the finale against uh, Tokyo, right. Tokyo mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of people are going to go down and he's going to have to be at his best if he's going to make it through. Um yeah. I really, I really love that the entire end of the film, the entire end rollerball game against Tokyo. I, I like how slow paced it is, or not slow paced. It, it's fast paced, but it's we see what feels like so much of that game. Yeah. Oh yeah, people light on fire. People. I mean, it's like everything happens in that in that game. Yeah, and, and it's violence that it's. Uh, you know, at its peak in that one that 
one by one, like everybody on both of these teams are going down. Except for one man. <laughs> Except for, and, and you see like bodies just like left on the, on the, uh, what, do, on the what do you call it? Like, like on, the... on the track. Yeah. That, yeah. uh, yeah. They're just like, they must, those people must be dead. Other people are just like gravely wounded and we see them getting carted off one after another, you know, but the, the like motorcycles and they're like holding people's heads on the track when the fire, the ball out, you know, like it's just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love that, you know, the intensity that as the game goes on and, you know, it, it ends up just like two people on motorcycles or one on a motorcycle, one on skates against just James Caan. That's all that's left. And that he's got a, and the, the, the track is on fire and, and it's just like carnage everywhere. And, and he's all that's left and he's got to take out two of them, which he does. And that final, you know, moment where he, with with no music, you know, it's quiet. He just slams the, you know, he's won. He slams the final point in, and it's just one nothing. Like they won. That was the only score of the game after yeah. all that. <laughs> after all that, <laughs> all yeah. those people had to die, and he's the last one left. And he yeah. scores like, and it is. It's like this brutality of of the sport is what draws everybody, keeps enter, everyone entertained, right? Yeah. Like just yeah. the savagery. You know, I can't say that it's not like a commentary on some of the more barbaric sports of, uh, <laughs> of modern day. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, you know, if you can't have war, you can have organized sports. And that's uh, that that's what yeah. will entertain everybody. Yeah. Uh, just great. I, I, I love this. This sort of ambiguous ending, too, is after he scores and it's just silent. Like nobody's cheering. Everyone's just kind of in shock of how, how far that game went. Yeah. And his coach uh, played by Shane Rimmer, who's another actor who's been just all over the place. He's in multiple James Bond movies. He's in Superman. He's in star Wars. He's in, I think the last time we saw him was in uh, the dark Knight. He's uh, he's got like one, one shot of him in like a train station. And, uh, but he's been all over the place for years and he just, you know, they, they just start to say his name, Jonathan, Jonathan, and just repeat it and building and building and building. And we, we watch John Hausman and exactly what he's feared is happening now that now Jonathan as being the, the sole survivor has won everybody over and that he is in like, he's in control and he's in charge and everyone, you know, is following his lead, and we just follow him around the track until we get that that real James Con look, that intense, fiery look as he kind of skates almost right into the camera. And then, of course, we get our seventies, you know, freeze frame ending. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But, but you know, ambiguous of what <laughs> what happens next. We don't know. You know, could this go beyond the sport of rollerball and and does jonathan lead sort of like a revolution that's that's kind of indicated could be or is it just that's his final moment and the corporation's gonna you know is still gonna find a way to eliminate him 
No, I think I think my interpretation of it is now because the corporation got involved and was trying to force him out and force him to retire and change the rules of rollerball prior to that final match. So there's no penalties and it's total brutality. Like they have created the scenario that they were afraid of in the first place. And so, yeah, he's leaving to overthrow the corporations because of, of what they have done where, where they've kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And it's, it's in a weird way, I guess it's a sense of hope, right? 75 hope, like nice yeah. hope in 75. Yeah. Hope in 75. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, a loose, little more loose grasp of hope. <clears throat> it's a little more of a, it's not as, so a lot of the seventies movies we've talked about have downer endings, you know, where the, where the hero is doomed is how we're left. And here, in a way, it's a little bit more of a, you know, a different spin on that, that maybe there's more of an upside that, you know, he may not live, but he's going to get everyone to, to fight back. So uh, interesting, interesting. Um, music, I, the music was interesting in, in the film, you know, Bach juxtaposing kind of all the, the, barbaric sport of rollerball and you know opening the film and then and then closing it over the end credits that, that you have this classic music uh classical music playing you know over this just people murdering each other really yeah and then well like isn't and it's not that tune you classically assign to like dracula or something like that isn't that right vampires uh yeah yeah i think so yeah sort of like this spooky haunted uh gothic places yep yep um, yeah interesting to use that here yeah yeah hmm. that's all i that's all <laughs> but, yeah cinematography it was shot by uh douglas slocum who would go on to shoot raiders of the lost ark so i i think photography wise this was really well done i mean these are just just covering the game itself is is uh challenging so it uh it looks good i think it, it i like how the the arena kind of even though it's supposed to be massive like does have an intimate feel to it when you're down there on the on the track yeah and the lighting you know gets darker and darker and that last in that last game where we're it looks like we're almost lit just with firelight yeah it gets so. pretty pretty uh pretty savage out there where you know because that, that's the great that's the interesting thing about like the, the shots are are kind of brutal with with when the violence is occurring because it's right in your face um and yeah you're not getting wide shots to make to to show you enough like you, you're getting them to set sort of the the next sequence but like you know you're right in it with it and you're living with the brutality and the audience and like you can tell like the audience generally is not in the arena when they're shooting it like from the, yeah. the track level yeah but they're like this they're fate but it's a faceless crowd really you know i mean they're just shoot they're trying to shoot around it but uh but then of course you cut to the audience when when you need it and then of course they're there at the end like they're you know there's right. some against the fence but um it is this sort of thing like the audience doesn't necessarily have to be there you could just you just pump up 
an audience sound uh, into an empty arena for these guys who have to, you know, kill yeah. each other. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's another scene that really kind of fascinated me and was disturbing was when the the executives are at a, you know at the party and then afterwards and they kind of split off and go outside and light light a tree on fire just Dude, they, basically yeah. just because they can. It's the most clockwork orange scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, another seventy five. But that scene especially reminds me of a clockwork orange. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'm like. It, it's just like nonsensical destruction and violence. I'm like, what? What is that they're getting off on? You know, yeah, that they're exactly. like excited they're and turned they're on. By it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, just kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah. What What yeah. would you do if you could I'd burn a tree down? Yeah. <laughs> and there's so we really know so little about that society in the, the world of this, like outside of this sport and the people related to it. Like, we don't really know much of what life is like and, you know, uh, what the class system really is. We know there's an upper class, but is there any, is there even a middle class anymore? Or is it just kind of lower and upper? Who knows? Well, there's the executives, which seem to be the royalty, right? right. And then if the lower class is like the rollerball players, which doesn't seem quite accurate because yeah. they seem pretty well off. Right. I mean, they're almost it, part mean, of the upper class by association. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't but see you have very... to imagine. You have to imagine there's, there's a lower, you would think there's a lower class than that somewhere. Yeah. Well, he said, but there's no supposedly no no poverty, right? Everyone has uh, that was described in the, the society when when Hausman was talking to him, right? Mm. Like, so you know, there's no war, there's no poverty. Everyone is basically fine, but they all they have to do is follow the corporation. Yeah. Um. So, don't, and there probably is a for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Just follow. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I maybe if there's no poverty, then I guess like there is no like people suffering in that way in terms of like right. every, everyone has shelter, I guess, you know, but do they all have 12 hour a day jobs and they live in a small little cube uh, instead of like a house? Like, who knows? You know, uh, uh, yeah, there's it's all. That's that's what's great about these stories is like it points to a very larger world that's oppress an oppressive force, but you can't really do anything about the oppressive force. So you're gonna you take care of it at your your small level. Like it's yeah. gonna, it's here in this game, you know. Like like I guess like like you know not every the, the story of uh, just living within sort of a dystopia or a terrible place like. It shouldn't be about trying to t topple the regimes. Like most of the stories are just human stories of, of you know, uh, man versus nature or man versus like, you know, business. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is this? Is that a classic storytelling uh, <laughs> conflict? Is that one of the 13 sure. conflicts? Man yeah. versus business? Man versus business. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um... This uh, episode is brought to you by Coca-Cola, but <laughs> yeah. mm, this delicious. episode has been sponsored by Valvoline. <laughs> yeah. So to, to go back to some of those uh, 
just what you were talking about earlier, John, the like the rollerball sequences and stuff like this. Apparently, this was the first movie to ever credit or the first Hollywood movie to ever credit uh, the stunt people, like the the stuntmen and 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 that were part of that. Rightfully so. Yeah, because the action sequences were so integral to the to the to the movie that they they gave them credit. Other than James Kahn and John Beck, it's all stunt people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And even that, obviously, like some of those guys' work is going to be stunts. But but there's some great, I mean, there's there's definitely some like intense, you know, especially for the time period, uh, intense stunt work going on. And these guys are flipping around and getting tossed around. And um, yeah, they, uh, well, good. This is uh, the good news for stunt workers everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. You would think you made like, it, guys, good work. <laughs> <laughs> you think like, you know, if they if the if you do redid rollerball, I figure you'd have a lot of women on the team too. You'd have a lot of uh, you know, this is all men fighting wars. Yeah. No women on the front line. So women have a certain place in the in the movie and in the the society, I guess. Yeah, if you're yeah. Re- redoing it now, sure. Yeah, I think they. I think even in the 2002 version, they had. They must have, right? Guys, I took that. I remember only. I I was sort of on the poster against it, but then I heard that um, there was some 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 WWF people involved at the time. So then I was kind of intrigued, but then five minutes was enough that I was I was done. You watched the first five minutes and you were out. Yep. You watched the first five. Maybe five. And yeah, a half. I mean it's it's not. I mean it's not like. Hey. Oh, it's not, it's not doing good on IMDb. It's <laughs> it's not it's not really worth going back and watching now. But yeah, yeah there's definitely they have. Well, because uh, it was it was a hokey take on it. It wasn't like like this is <clears throat> excuse me. This is obviously a serious film with like a serious subtext going on. Yeah, yeah. Like that was a light fluff action movie. Yeah. It was not, there's no real depth to it. And, you know, I think, I, I think Westworld proved that you could take a weird kind of quirky, uh, highly stylized seventies movie and make it a successful, uh, you know, reboot redo. Um, and I could, I could definitely see the same thing for, for rollerball. Yeah. I, I would say, I don't know what influenced the 2002 movie to go the direction that they decided to go with all of it but i feel like they could make a truer remake to the 1975 version today and it would be hella worth seeing but the 2002 version i don't know what it is i mean it was directed by mctiernan he's done some great shit yeah yeah so he was uh but by that point it had been a minute since he directed anything well i guess thomas crown affair was okay that was a few years before so yeah yeah they're not all wins how interesting see now mctiernan who did the remake of rollerball did the remake of thomas crown affair oh so he's just raining on norman jewison's parade yeah take all your movies yeah that is (laughs) That's now that I have my directors straight and I realize that this is not the director that I was originally thinking. Yeah, Jason did Thomas Crown Affair. Who, who do you Rose. think it was? Mick G? 
I uh, am going to like tell you in the post credits of this because it's too embarrassing to admit <laughs> that I watched the movie that I watched in general. So okay. <laughs> uh, um, the, just real quick, the rollerball. This is probably not official, but it, it, the new ro- the twenty the two thousand rollerball, two thousand two. Uh, the plot synopsis on IMDb: The big thing in two thousand five is a violent sport, which can have some pretty serious consequences, like dying. <laughs> and that's yeah. it that's all it is that's it <clears throat> like dying like dying For pretty serious consequence a sport or you could die and i think that's cool i, I kind of want to check it out rebecca remains in it with chris rebecca Klein Remain, and, yeah. and jean renault okay oh forget it chris that's klein i'm there chris klein well i mean i have to say like on paper yeah on paper that's good that's a fun movie I feel like Chris Klein's the weakest link in this whole situation. Well, right? but this is, this and that's is, not to piss on Chris Klein. Hey, I'm a huge American Pie fan. Yeah, right. and and this is this is right after American Pie too, which was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, absolutely. They were trying no, to make I, him I get why stuff. I get why he's in it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. But like, you know, is it the right fit? Hindsight being Probably 2020 yeah. and all, <laughs> you know, Chris yeah. Klein. Is, Chris- Chris yeah. Klein had a nice recurring role on that sh- on the American version of Wilfred, uh, starring Elijah Wood. Oh. and he was very good in it. He was, I believe he was, that he was really good. I was really happy to to have a really nice Chris Klein performance. Yeah, I'm just I'm not trying to take away from Chris, Chris Klein. I, I think that his action uh, career did not necessarily go the direction that we thought it would go. Yeah, maybe no, at well, some point. Honestly, but, like we have not seen Chris Klein. In quite some time, yeah, we've been I mean, it's been a minute. I mean, he did the Street Fighter movie. I think he played I a mean, cop. He, he's done a ton of TV, so like he's yeah, been maybe, in, he's yeah, been in the now. Flash. You know, I mean, and the Flash. If dude, the Flash is a good job. pretty rock solid DC universe TV show. If, yeah, if you're if you're following along, I I lost track because they started doing a bunch of mixed episodes with like supergirl and yeah the crossovers the crossovers that i just wasn't watching the other episodes so i was lost but the flash is decent uh but sweet magnolias look bench warmers too guys bench warmers chris klein (laughs) of witness that who are we who are we here for oh yeah we're not i, apo- I apologize yeah. for the, the chris klein tangent that's what, what that's we talk about him on the klein cast yeah my bye-bye head on over the klein cast i chris just don't klein. want to be hating on chris klein guys that's all i'm saying no one's excusing you of that don't worry it's right. yeah except chris klein he just he just texted me i feel accusations <laughs> um he, he's not the reason that movie failed let's just put it that way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no uh so James Kahn going into this is uh, he had such an like just looking at the the, the few cre- a few of his credits uh, prior to this you know starts off with working with Coppola actually uh, and the Rain People and I think sixty eight or sixty nine I just watched another movie called Countdown that he and Robert Duvall are in about um, kind of a also kind of a conspiracy theory astronaut film which was was kind of fun. Um, all that prior to the Godfather. Then he does the Godfather where he, along with everybody in that movie becomes stars, you know, between Khan and Pacino and Talia Shire and Duval, like all of them were new faces that suddenly like they're all nominated for Oscars and John Cazale 
the great John Cazale, nominated for Oscars, and then they're all, they're they're all leading leading actors uh, on their own. After The Godfather, um, he does a movie called Slither. He does The Gambler, which is a great film. Uh, I, I discovered that only really a few years ago, and it, it was it was so good. Uh, Freebie and the Bean, which is like, a, th then he gets into this comedy. Like, there's this other side of James Con. There's the violent kind of gangster or cop side, and then there's the like, I like doing like wacky comedies and musicals and Barbara Streisand movies, like Funny Lady. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then uh, turning right around and doing a Sam Peckinpah movie with Robert Duvall called The Killer Elite, which is a bizarre movie that uh, I've seen many times. And it's uh, a great role for James Caan, but it's clearly a Sam Peckinpah who is on, let's just say, mind-altering, uh, um, you know, items. <laughs> uh that were influencing that movie and you could you can tell there's some stuff going on there but a uh, great performance by Khan and Duval and they're such a great like pair uh they they've done a number of movies together and, and and it's always fun to see them bouncing off of each other but then he does Rollerball which is unlike anything like his previous films so and and looking at his track record like it it just continues he's just he's he does all kinds of movies and you know maybe they're not maybe the movies aren't great all the time but his you know he's another guy whose performance is 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 always uh you know he's always at 100% now that we've talked about rollerball is it time could it be time for box office glory yeah All right. Now we know we've established that we there are not a lot of solid numbers for films prior to like 81 and 80, you know, really, I guess maybe Star Wars. Uh, they didn't really track it quite the same as, as they do now. So not a lot of detailed info out there, but uh, the, the production did have a five to six million dollar budget. It uh, it was released June 25th, 1976. And it pulled in a, a domestic run of $30 million. So that's a hey. pretty, pretty good size hit for that day. How much did it cost? Five to six. Five to six. Make yeah. it 30. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a hit, a hit for James Kahn, a hit for Norman Jewison. Um, it, uh, it ends up ranking number 11 of 1975. Now, remember, they released a lot fewer films back then. So it, uh, it, it's ahead of the adventure of the wilderness family. Mm -hmm. Not familiar mm -hmm. with that. Didn't see that one. I don't know what that is. Uh, but it couldn't quite rollerball could not quite take down the, the mighty apple dumpling gang. Hey, uh -huh. Listen, Don Knotts. Hey, and Tim Conway, right? Those dudes are national treasures. They should be. Yeah. They we're in the eighties. They, they, <laughs> they, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, couldn't quite take take down the the apple dumpling gang, but uh, but there it is. It's still a, a, you know financially successful. So, um, you know, thinking about this, comparing it to some of the other conspiracy theory films of the you know the Big Brother uh, is watching you films from the seventies. I I look. I love Rollerball. Um, 
I don't think it's quite as strong as some of the other ones we mentioned earlier, you know, Marathon Man and and uh, Network and and yeah. all the President's Men, Three Days of the Condor. But uh, it's, you know, it's it's right up there with them. I wouldn't say it's as strong just because of part part of what we talked about, that there's some, you know, some stretches and, and things that are unclear about the plot and and you know how some of the, these things are connected so i think that's kind of the only thing that really holds it back yeah it's what in you, the family right yeah like, what do you guys it's, think it's the rc cola uh, of the soda aisle right it's you know if the if these conspiracy movies were the soda aisle this is rc cola <laughs> right it's it's got a place but yeah. you know you're gonna drink it at, at somewhere pe- you're gonna people, find it at people parties. will drink it but it's uh you know there's other there's better conspiracies theory movies out there yeah. <laughs> yeah so take it back to the grocery store anyway um yeah but uh what do you what do you guys think does it do, i feel like it's relevant today what do what do you guys think thematically yeah i agree i i mean i think and we touched on it earlier in in the in the show but <clears throat> i think absolutely like a lot of just the social class system and government or, or people, whoever the power entity is, that's kind of pulling the strings, um, you know, certainly is, uh, is relevant in today's society. Yeah. Yeah. Our American society, there's a, there's a large, there's a large enough contingent that would, that would like nothing more than the government to be dismantled and, all of us to be ruled by authoritarians and power with a lot of money. There's an actual contingent of people that want fascism. Um, and it, we're at, we're at a point where rollerball could become a real thing in like 20 years because we'll have, we'll have delved deep into, into that. If, if things continue <laughs> the way some people in power uh, want them to be. So that's my conspiracy theory. Yeah. For- <laughs> for 20 for 2022 you mean yeah. that's not going to happen by 2018 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we're halfway there. Um, yeah yeah i think i think there's a lot of connective tissue to to what's going on politically right now and yeah. you know but again it, it, you have to look past uh, speaking of, of the film like you have to look past the 70s-ness of it style wise and and that can be tough for some people but um <laughs> you know to to, to really just latch on to what's being said underneath underneath it all there, there were a lot of characters going around saying hey that's dynamite you know it's so 70s <laughs> yeah uh, yeah that's dynamite baby <laughs> keep it up uh, okay uh yeah overall i i i love the film i look you know i i'm very partial to james Kahn. I've i've always been partial to him and uh, I, I'm more often than not going to give his movies a chance just just because he's in them. Yeah. And and you know, sadly, he's no longer with us. And all we have of him is is what's left in the films he did and the TV shows that he did. And um, the yeah, just you know, a, a huge body of work that we can keep going back to. And and you like funny James Con? There's there's funny. There's there's comedies to look at there's the there's gangster movies there's there's you know the program you know just so many movies that are all across the board that he 
always gave a great uh, a great performance and you know as we just watched misery here in my house uh, a few weeks ago and and just such a great you know he could play such a tough guy but then he's someone who's trapped and abused and uh and plays that almost the polar opposite you know who has ptsd and is afraid of you know his someone who's captured him and um just just great great roles um so we're we're gonna miss him and again you can check out our, our podcast on thief now we've got rollerball and there'll be plenty more james Khan in our future but we wanted to take a minute here and uh i know we're not releasing this on our usual uh release day but we wanted to get it out as quickly as possible and then and uh we will get back to our regular programming because we're gonna have we won't give it away, but we're going to have a lot of fun in the month of uh, August. Just just trust us. We're calling it Fun August. <laughs> fun August. Fun in That's August. not alliterative. We have an alliteration <laughs> for this, guys. We do. Okay. Yeah. Should we say it? We'll tease him. We'll tease him. And if something changed, we'll let you know. But Alcatraz August Ooh. or August in Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. So you pick. We'll leave- well, yeah, whatever you, you want. decide, you yeah. decide, <laughs> but uh, so stay tuned for that. And uh, also uh, RIP to Tony Sirico. And then just uh, breaking as we record this LQ Jones, who is a, uh, a, an older Western actor appeared in the wild bunch and some peck and paw films and all throughout the seventies. And he was in casino also has passed away. So uh, rest in peace to all those that we have lost. It feels like there's a ton. So we may have some more, sadly, more emergency programming to adjust, but hopefully not anytime soon. So um, any anything else, guys, on, on James Conner Rollerball? No. We said it all. If you want to check us out on our social media, we're Reconsidimation Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find our archives at reconsidimation.com. Uh, don't forget to rate and review and give us uh, give us some five star reviews on on whatever it's called now. Apple Podcasts, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, so check us out there. And a quick thank you to our friends, E.K. Wimmer uh, for the theme music and Curtis Moore for the poster. Don't forget to check out E.K.'s podcast, Laser Graves. Also, I'm going to just plug a random podcast that I'm into late to the party, just kind of catching up on it. But in, in these sort of sometimes will feel like dark times. Uh, I've been listening to How Did This Get Made with uh, Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael and Jason Manzakis. And it's absolutely hilarious. There's just just great when when times feel tough, you can listen to that show <laughs> separately from ours. And uh, it's just such a great time. But uh, that, that's what I'm listening to. Very good. It's a good one. That's yeah. a that's a great one. Yeah, it is. It's lots fan. of fun ones there. But I thought when you said I'm catching up, I thought you were gonna throw out cereal, cereal. or something like <laughs> that. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, no, you're way I, behind. How did this get made? Is there's like it feels like there's thousands of episodes already. There are they have so many. so many episodes. But they're yeah. they're so good. And we, we were just listening <clears> to uh Superman three and Moonfall and like just so many good wow. ones um spider-man three like just just classics but uh anyway uh stay tuned Uh, we're gonna have fun episodes coming up and uh we will catch you guys next time on reconsinimation 
Take care. Bye now. James Conn forever. James Conn. Oh, James Dude, Con. what the hell happened to John McTiernan? I know this is totally not on James Conn, but we're done.